0: Today's episode of Theoretically Speaking features Dr. Eunice Chang and Dr. Michael Broder from FAR and Mitra Corral from Genentech. They recently joined us for a webinar where they gave a practical overview of how and why you should use data from Medicare for real-world studies. Let's jump in.
1: CMS Medicare be linked to private Medicare supplemental databases? And the answer is uh, yes, in theory, it can. Uh, we, I've never done that. But the linkage process is one that um, Medicare takes a pretty agnostic view about. If you can provide the data security, then you can probably do it. It doesn't mean that there's an easy path to doing it, but it is, it is definitely something you can do. Oh, yeah. Okay, this is good. I didn't answer. I didn't mention this, but I wanted to, which was about Medicare Part C. So Part C data are available for research. The important difference is that you can't, there are no costs in Part C data. So it's, it's, they call it Part C Encounters. It's not really claims. It's submitted by the companies that run those Medicare Advantage plans, and they are required to submit that data to CMS now. And the process is takes longer, I guess, because it doesn't go directly from a provider. It goes to those plans and then to CMS. And so available now is data on Part C from like 2015 through 2020. And it is not quite as frequently updated like we've seen. My understanding of the of the process now is that CMS intends to make Part C data available for researchers because, as I mentioned at the beginning, that's a sort of threat to the validity to your ability to interpret studies using Medicare claims. And so, they do intend to make that available, but right now, the it lags quite a bit, and it isn't even clear that it's going to be updated on the same schedule every year. So, unlike in the fee for service Medicare, where I told you, you know, 14 months to two years, you really can't predict when the data from Part C are going to be available.
0: There's one question about does RASDEC ever reject applications?
1: Well, we've never had an application rejected. I suppose they would, though. Well, interestingly, the first time we did this, so so um, we started to look into this more than a decade ago. And at the time, Eunice is smiling because she didn't believe we would be able to do it. So at the time when when we did this, um, what we heard was private companies, non-academic institutions couldn't get access to the RIF data. And we poured through the materials online and it never said that anywhere. And I had my attorney reach out to CMS and ask, and there was no real prohibition on anybody getting it. It was just, you have to go through the process. And so we went through this process doing a very rigorous application and our first application was accepted. But yeah, I think that I've never, I I suppose they might reject if you don't have, if you don't describe a project adequately, but I think more likely they'll just keep coming back to you with more questions.
0: And I want to add for that study, actually at that time they don't have that data center. So they, they will, they, we did get the physical data from them, but we have to jump so many hoops and, <laughs> you know, the data security is really, you know, they have a lot of rule about that. But yeah, but that's a <laughs> long time ago. That's uh, really a headache, but we did get the data.
1: And somebody asked whether you have to publish the research. Which um, I don't think that's a requirement. You have to share it with them if you're publishing it. You have to tell them about it. I think when you get to LDS, you're asked to submit the publications, but they don't do anything about it. But I think with RIF, you have to send them the publications. But yeah, I don't think if we didn't publish it, there would be any, any problem. Yeah, so somebody asked, can we request 100% RIF if one of our objectives is to analyze prevalence and incidence? And the the answer is yes, but the CMS will will want you to do the data in the, wants you to do your study in the least invasive way possible. So if that study that you're talking about with incidence and prevalence is doable in the LDS, they probably will suggest that you do that and, and might send your application back to do that. It certainly happened to us once where we applied to do something without explaining how uncommon the condition was. And then this was before the 100%. There was no LDS 100%. And then we went back and showed epidemiologic data showing that it was uncommon. And they said, yes, you've shown that you can't do it in the 5% sample. So, yes, you can have access to this 100%. But, but in terms of pre- prevalence and incidence, like, for example, if to identify the patients, you need Part D then that would be an argument for using RIF. If you don't, then you might be asked to do it in LDS. Are there restrictions on how the data are used, like for promotional use by a pharmaceutical company? Yeah, you can't do that. You, you, Well, okay, so you can do, you can, if you have a published study, you can use that the way you could use any published evidence. But you can't, there are restrictions on commercial use. And what I believe the CMS means by that is you can't sort of create a tool out of the data, even the LDS data. You, you can't do it. I mean, obviously, you can't do it in RIF data because you don't have the data, but even in LDS, you can't do it. But once a study is published, you can use it in whatever way you you see fit. Carrier file. Oh, okay, so to clarify, the carrier file not available for the 100%, that's only in the LDS. In the RIF, you you get the carrier file. Yes, absolutely. So in, when you apply for those research identifiable files, you get it all. It's only in the LDS, 100% that you can't, that you don't get that carried
0: Yeah, because it's too big. Mainly it's because too big, you know, they ship you, for example, like I say, 5%. They just send you, that's a standard data set they have. Once they approve, they just send you the 5% sample for all the data uh, tables. For the 100%, you know, many, you know, 100% of a carrier file is huge. So uh, that's why they don't do it.
1: Uh, durable, somebody asked about durable medical equipment. Yes, that information is available in DME. There is a file, durable me- medical equipment, and that file is available both in the LDS and, and RIF. DME is interesting in that for many studies, uh, studies that we've done, you do find things in that in that CMS data that you can't get in commercial claims. So that medical equipment's usually only given once. And as Mitra mentioned, the claims run out in commercial sources of data are usually only a few years. So if you got something five years ago, you can't find it, but in, in Medicare data you can.
0: Also, some of the party covered oral medication, like some of the chemo medication was included in the DME.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I think, I mean, there are a couple of other sort of individual questions and what we'll plan to do is we'll, we'll ask, We will answer these questions um, in the days to come and try to get as many of these answers as we can. Some of them are not maybe general enough that I want to answer them right now. Is Part D drug data available in either LDS or RIF? No, it's not. Part D, the only way to get Part D information is to do the research file application.
0: But however, interestingly, for someone like Sears Medicare data, you know, you go that, go through the Sears Medicare, they give you Part D. So
1: uh-huh, uh-huh. Interesting. <laughs> other linkage,
0: you know, for other yeah. linkage, like uh, Michael showed some slide, you know, a lot of linkage, you know, when they say you can link a medical Medicare data, they give you part D. I don't really understand the, <laughs> the logic behind it. Why they don't give part D like five percent sample to uh, the limited data set? But that's uh, how they fun- how how they do that right now.
1: No, I agree. It doesn't, I mean, the, I, the, the concept is privacy, and it's hard to see how adding that drug data really does anything to affect the beneficiary privacy. How do we differentiate what's considered inpatient versus outpatient diagnoses based on types of files? Yeah, so, so in Medicare fee-for-service, the analytic file, that carrier file is where most of the outpatient physician information is. That's, that's where you're going to find outpatient information. And that's where the that's where the all the good stuff is in terms of diagnoses and things like that. Um, and
0: for for example, like a, for the inpatient, we call the inpatient table, but actually it's tables for the inpatient claim. Yeah. They give you, I think, it's a three or four different level of the claim and. Then for the outpatient facility, same thing, you know. So if you're looking for something about inpatient hospital, then you just looking at all those tables related to, to the inpatient hospital claim. And uh, the carrier file is a little bit different. Carrier file is uh, like a you know doctor, so they include a lot of office visit, but as well as uh, some radiologists. For example, if you hospitalize, right, so you have a hospital bill as well as you have some individual doctor's bill. And those is in the carrier file. But you'll be able to kind of tell by the date and also the uh, service location and to know what happened and when that happened.
1: Okay, I think I have one last question here that I wanted to answer from the very beginning about the death information. So death information comes from a number of sources in Medicare. One is that enrollment, they get information from Social Security. Whether somebody's died or not. So that goes into the enrollment file. And the validation, when I, I showed a slide at the beginning that talked about the proportion of deaths that were validated, and most of them are. And validation in that context means there's information from outside of Medicare to um, provide additional in- information that the beneficiary has indeed died. So that's Social Security or vital records or things like that. So, so that's where that data comes from.
0: hope you enjoyed this episode of Theoretically Speaking and that you'll tune in to future episodes where we chat with pharma value, evidence and access experts. Don't forget to subscribe.